So we are continuing the series that we started a few weeks ago. We've been going through the chapters of the Gospel of John, and we've been walking with John through all of the events of Holy Week. And, and now today we are to the greatest miracle of history, right? the resurrection of Jesus. And, and as we look at, at John 20, um, you'll notice if you open up and look at the Gospel of John, this isn't the last chapter, and so we are going to finish the Gospel of John next Sunday, um, where we go back to uh, John 21, which is the restoration of Peter, and that's actually where the Gospel ends, so we'll look at that next week. But today we are in John chapter 20. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, uh, you're, I invite you to open with me up to John chapter 20. If you don't have your own Bible, don't have it with you today, and you're here with us in person, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats that you're welcome to use. You'll notice uh, the, the page numbers uh, on your outline of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. And if you're with us online, uh, I hope you can grab your Bible next to you and you can open up with us to John 20. Uh, if not, you can just listen as I read it. And so we are going to start uh, at verse 1. So John 20, verse 1. Or it says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. We're going to pause right there in those first four verses because there's a few things that we got to talk about here before we move on. First off, as we see, uh, verse 1 tells us it was early on Sunday morning. Again, Jesus rose on the third day. He, he was crucified on, on Friday, and the Jewish days go from sundown to sundown. So he, he was put in the grave on Friday before sundown, right? and then he was in the grave on Friday and on Saturday, and then Sunday starts with sundown right, on Saturday night to us. And then early Sunday morning, they, they find that he is risen, right? Three days later, he rose and the grave is empty. And, and when we, we realize that again, as we celebrate that here on Easter Sunday, we also need to realize that, that the physical resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. The physical resurrection of Jesus. Again, there have been a lot of different ideas throughout history and, and interpretations of the resurrection and, and theories of, of whether he, he physically rose again, whether he, he was out, whether it was his spirit that rose, and all those things. But again, the, the scripture teaches he was the physical resurrection. His body was gone, and it has been restored. And it is the cornerstone of our faith, just as we talked about uh, again, on Friday, right, the, uh, the Good Friday, even though we call it Good Friday, it's not very good. It's, it's in fact, a, a hard day, right? But it, the reason it's good is because of today, because he physically rose. And, and, and Easter celebrates the cornerstone of our faith because it's even, I feel like, more important than Christmas because if Easter didn't happen, then he's just another baby. But he's not just another baby. Right, which is why we celebrate Christmas and, and celebrate his birth, because he was sent to earth for a reason. Right? He was sent with a mission as the Messiah. And that mission was accomplished on Easter morning through his resurrection. 
The physical resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. Because we look at the different world religions, right, and the, the, the core of our religions, Jesus is the only one of any of those religions that, that backed up his words with a physical resurrection. And it is the cornerstone of our faith. And we see here in verse 2, as, as um, the, the, the narrative unfolds and the events of the morning start to happen, we we see it, it says that, again, Mary, she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. We don't know where they put him. She, she comes to, to Peter and to John, and once again, we've seen throughout the gospel that John never names himself in his own writing, which is why he, he kind of, you know, dances around not using his own name. And again, we see him do that here again in this verse. We, we also, you know, remember that, that John was the youngest disciple, and therefore the most immature, right? Again, his gospel was one of his first writings, which means this was earlier in his life. And again, we still see a glimpse of his personality come out because, you know, he has to point out the fact that he won the foot race. And we see that and come out, and as he kind of throws in that little dig towards Peter, he'll be like, by the way, I beat you, Peter, but I beat you to the tomb. But I bring this verse up because the truth is that there's lots of theories about this resurrection. And again, to us, it's a physical resurrection, right? He's not there because he rose again. But there's lots of different theories about what happened to the body of Jesus, in fact, Mary presents one of the most common theories against the physical resurrection of Jesus, and that is that somebody stole the body. Right? That they, they just put him in a different grave. Right? That, that, that this was all human fabricated. In fact, this is, this is a theory that has lived on by skeptics for thousands of years. Well, it's been over, a little over 2,000 years since since that first Easter morning, and, and this theory is still alive and well. Right? That Jesus didn't physically rise. That, that, that the disciples or that somebody else just stole his body just so they could say he rose. Right? But, but we see, though, that, that this story, though, doesn't stop there with the empty tomb. This story continues on. And so we're going to continue on here in, in verse 5. Where he said, he, so he stooped and looked, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. And then the disciple who Jesus, uh, or the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. Again, I want to even pause there again just to, 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 to point out the fact, right, that, that they had to see, physically see the empty tomb before they believed. In fact, they had to physically see the tomb. In fact, they had went into the tomb and inspected themselves, right, before all of the dots connected in their minds. Again, Jesus had clearly taught this, that he would die and rise again on the third day. He predicted it in many different ways. Even all of the Old Testament scriptures, which all the disciples knew pretty well, had predicted this. 
But it was this moment when they, when they went into the tomb and, and saw that, that his body was physically gone. And that made them believe. Right? It was when it made sense to them. It, it was when, when they saw that, that again, that, that their minds were open. And as we see that, right, then we end up at verses 9 and 10. It says, for until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. It's just interesting to me as I read that verse about that literally, like, that's the end of the story, right? I mean, Jesus just gets, he's like, and then they went home. Like, like this very anticlimactic ending to the Easter morning, right? It's like, yeah, they saw it. They believed, they, they understood, you know, what Jesus had predicted, and that it all came true, so they went home. And, and, and to that, to, like, again, it, it seems like that at this moment, the story of the Messiah and his saving work is done, right? He's, he's resurrected. The disciples were present and, and realized the full picture, done, story over, they went home. So... Well, we realize, right, that this entire chapter is about the resurrection, and yet the story's done in verse 9. So what's in the rest of it? Well, we see, though, the main teaching of this chapter, of, of this, this story of the resurrection, is, is that, that seeing and believing, this concept that, that John presents here, even in his own experience of how they, they had to see it in order to believe. They, and, and we see this teaching run through, not just the, these, these intro verses of the chapter, but, but through the rest of the text. John is setting this up in these opening verses with this, the, the story of the empty tomb. And we see how Peter and John both had to see the tomb in order to realize what was really going on. And then through the rest of the chapter in John chapter 20, there are three more instances when Jesus is seen, physically seen, right, and appears in his resurrected form, and then the people believe. Three different times when he is seen and then they believe. So let's continue on in, in the story. Pick it up at verse 11. And we're going to read 11 through 18. It says, so Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in, and she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said, and she turned to him and cried out, Rabbani, which in Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the father, but go and find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and to your God. So Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. So here we see this, 
first appearance of Jesus in his resurrected form as he appears to Mary Magdalene, literally outside of the tomb. Now, now first she saw the angels. Again, even seeing angels, right, that are, are there, I mean, that, that would be a, a pretty incredible experience in itself, right, knowing that they're angels and seeing them. And, and yet, even to the angels, she sticks to her original theory that somebody had stolen the body and just put it somewhere else. Again, she didn't recognize necessarily that maybe that they were even angels. Right? And as she presents this theory to them, then, then Jesus shows up. And again, she presents the same theory to him. And she doesn't even recognize, again, she, 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 it all doesn't click in her mind and in her heart and, until, notice what changes it, is Jesus called her by name. Right? He calls her by name. And again, we, we see that, that happen here in, you know, as, as her mind is opened up. Because in that moment, she feels the love of Jesus. Right? The, the personal connection to God happens in that moment. And in that moment is where her eyes become opened. Right? And she realizes that it, it is Jesus that she's talking to. And then Jesus reacts to her. I mean, he, he gives her a command in verse 17. And, and verse 17 is very key. Okay, where, where Jesus says, don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Now, this is a very key verse in the story of the resurrection, because what Jesus does here, he's, he's teaching her and all of us, right, that everything is different now. Because he's died and rose again, everything's different. Because you notice, how does Mary address Jesus? She addresses him the same way she'd addressed him the entire time, as, as teacher, as rabbi. And yet, what does Jesus tell her now? That Jesus turns to her and, 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 and calls her and all of the other disciples brothers and sisters. They're, 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 they are now equals. Right? Because the, the mission of the Messiah has been accomplished. Right? It, it's finished. We, we, and now we are all equals in, in our identity with the Father in that, that we can now be God's children. We are all God's children because of the power of the death and resurrection. All right, because our identity can be changed from God's creation to God's child. Because we can be saved. Because it's been finished. It's been accomplished. The work of the Messiah is done. Because the reality is, after the cross, we are all God's children. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus. Hey, after the cross, our identity is different. Right? When you receive Christ as your Savior, when you confess your sins, invite him into your life, and, and be, accept the, the gift of grace and mercy that's given to you, by the power of the cross, that you realize the fact that Jesus is your sacrificial lamb, and that by his blood you can be saved, 
and you believe that in your heart, and you confess that with your mouth, and you become a new creation at that moment of salvation. Right? When you join the journey of faith and receive Christ as your Savior. Again, this is something that we've seen these last few weeks as we've gone through these, these final chapters of the gospel that, that, that John um, writes in this circular type logic that, that he predicts things earlier in the gospel and then they all came true in these last chapters. Yeah, we can go back to, to John chapter 1 and, and see again, what he predicted, what he foreshadowed this exact thing in John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13. It says, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Now, this is a concept that, that goes deeper in John 3, which is a very famous passage when Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and and, and is wrestling with this exact concept. And that's where we find the, one, the most famous verse, of probably of all of Scripture, right? John 3.16. And we realize, though, this, this, this concept, right? The, the, this idea that John had predicted, that, that Jesus is now teaching to, to Mary and, and telling her to go and, and pass on the message to the disciples. Right? That... That the, the mission of the Messiah has been accomplished, that, that your identity is now changed through the good news of Christ. And that when you are, receive Christ as your Savior and enter into the new covenant of grace, that your identity changes from God's creation to God's child when you are saved. And that is our, our God-given identity as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, right? that I am God's child. And then the story continues on as we dive into verse 19. It says, so that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And here we see 10 of the disciples now see the resurrected Jesus. We also see that John points out in, in verse 19 that they were scared of the Jewish leaders. Remember all of this tension that was with the, the religious leaders of the time that had all culminated on Friday, and they thought they won on Friday. And now Jesus, with his resurrection, changes the whole story. Right? And the, the tension in the air goes to a whole new level. And yet Jesus shows up Right? He, he shows up with them. And, and, and notice that he tells them, the first thing he tells them, find peace. There's a peace that comes with Jesus that you can't find anywhere else. 
Right? And, and the, again, the, the tension of the culture the, 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 with the religious leaders and the Romans and all these things, and yet that's what Jesus brings. Even in the midst of the chaos, Jesus brings peace. No matter how chaotic our world feels, Jesus still brings peace. And he tells him, peace be with you. And, and again, he's like, you don't have to be scared, guys, because I'm, I'm here. I'm with you. And then in verse 22, it says, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And it was Makes us wonder in this moment, right? Did, did Jesus have tic-tacs with him? Was his, was his breath fresh? Right, but not, not on his breath, really. But the point, right, here this verse is, is, is the Holy Spirit. And, and in this moment, because the Holy Spirit is, is breathed on them, and, and that, that presence comes in them and with them, and, and this is, it, was a, it was a whole new experience for them. Right, because the reality is the disciples have never had the Holy Spirit until this point. Again, we see the Holy Spirit show up at different times before the cross, but, but now after the cross, again, the Holy Spirit still comes in, in instances until we see in Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit is poured out on all believers at Pentecost. All right, now, that, that's a whole different story and a whole different sermon. Right, but we also have to realize right, that that the, the disciples had never had the Holy Spirit. Jesus, Jesus is now living out his teachings. And he is now starting the process of passing the baton to the disciples, to the apostles. Because now it is time for them to live out all of the teachings that they've received from Jesus. And, you know, we, we see here um, from John 13 through John 16, where, where Jesus does a lot of teaching. And in fact, what, one of the, the main topics of, of these chapters is the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does for us. In fact, chapter, the, the whole chapter of John chapter 16 is all about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit and what he accomplishes in our lives. That chapter points out four main things that the Holy Spirit does for us. It convicts us of sin. It reveals God's righteousness. The Holy Spirit helps us realize that judgment is coming and the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. And like I said, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all believers. Meaning that if you are a believer in Christ, if you've received him as your Savior, then the Holy Spirit indwells you, lives in your hearts. And the Holy Spirit does all of these things, opens our eyes, and, and that's when a lot of, of the dots get connected for you, and Scripture looks very different, right? Just like we saw with Mary and with the disciples, everything starts to make sense that didn't make sense before. And so we see here that, that I get 10 of the disciples are present, and, and they see Jesus. And then we have this next instance, this time where Jesus appears in verses 24 through 29. Where it says, now one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. 
But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Here we see as the the story continues to build, as as Jesus teaches the the same lessons again, notice he shows up with the same um, greeting this time that he had to the ten the first time. Peace be with you. I'm here, right? uh, You can have peace in your life the way you didn't before. Again, we also notice, right, that it was eight days later. Why did Jesus wait over a week to include Thomas? You know, maybe Jesus was, maybe he was punishing him for his rude comment. I won't believe. Not till I see him. Right? I mean, Thomas was pretty demanding. I mean, you think in that, right? I mean, again, I don't know, right, why Jesus waited eight days. But think, think about Thomas's journey in those eight days. I think about what he went through in those times. In fact, those eight days, right, really brought Thomas into a, a kind of a harsh reputation. Because right? the common reputation of Thomas is doubting Thomas. Right? And yet Jesus shows up. Right? But, but also points out, right, that that the other disciples had seen Jesus, that they had, had, had experienced the Holy Spirit in that time. But yet, the text doesn't say that they believed until he shows up eight days later. Right? And the reality is that everyone in this chapter, not just Thomas, saw Jesus before they fully believed. Right? And, and there comes the culmination of, of the teaching, right? As, as Jesus points out right, to Thomas right, and to all of them in verse 29 that you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. You, you all believe because you've seen me. Again, I've, I've shown you that I'm resurrected. You can, you can see my wounds. Right? You, you've experienced my presence. Like, you know that I'm alive, and, and yet you had to see to believe. Right, this wasn't true of just Thomas. Like I said, Thomas gets the bad rap for it. Right? But, but this was true of all of them. But yet, Jesus says, if blessed are those who believe without seeing. Again, we notice, though, what, what Jesus tells him. Again, in verse 27, he tells him, don't be faithless any longer. Because in the reality is, if you believe in Jesus without seeing, then you have faith. 
Right? He's telling me, he's like, hey, you, you've been faithless, right? You, you haven't believed in me, even though you haven't seen. Again, Thomas had the opportunity to, to kind of be, to have a different reputation, to rise above the other disciples, right? To believe without seeing, and, and yet he doubted. And here Jesus tells him, don't be faithless any longer, have faith. Now, as, as we sit here this morning on, on Easter morning, again, do we believe without seeing the resurrected Jesus? Well, we do if we have faith. And in fact, that's, that's all God asks of us to be saved, is to have faith. We can, we can look at the biblical definition of faith in Hebrews 11.1. 1. The scripture defines faith as the confidence that we, that we hope for will actually happen. And it gives us the assurance about things that we cannot see. Do you have a confidence that what we hope for will actually happen? Again, what do we hope for? Right, we hope for a life with God. A, a, a deep personal relationship with our creator. Right, we, we hope for the, the blessings that come with, with living the life that Jesus taught us to live, of, of being more like Jesus tomorrow than we are today, of, of his second coming when all things are made new and we get to spend eternity in his unhindered presence. Right, those are all things we hope for. And faith is having the confidence that those are actually going to happen. Right? That there really is a God. That Jesus really was God that put on flesh and lived a sinless life and, and died on a cross and rose again on the third day so I can be saved. That that's real. Right, that, that I can have peace that nobody else understands because I'm walking with Jesus. Do we have the confidence that, that that will actually happen even if I can't see it? But yet, once we have faith, once we accept Jesus as our Savior, right, then you do see it all over because God opens your eyes to him working in, in not just your life, but, but all around you. As we learn to, to hear God's voice and follow his direction and, and be transformed into a new creation. Right? Because if, if we have faith, right, then it brings some things into our life. Some things we can't have without faith. And the first and most foundational thing is that by that faith, we are saved. Right? That, that, that we, we, can, we can be walking through life, not alone anymore, not trying to figure out on my own, not trying to earn my own way, but, but I can be saved by grace through faith. Like that's exactly what Scripture tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, for God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's, it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done, so none of us can boast about it. I mean, literally, the opening line of this verse, right, is who does the saving? 
God. God does the saving. You can't save yourself. God saves you. And he saves you through grace, right? That was brought through Jesus. You can't earn it, right? It is a gift. But a gift has to be opened to be received. Have you opened that gift? Have you prayed and accepted Jesus as your Savior? Have you invited him into your life? Have you confessed your sin and, and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and receive that love and grace and mercy that comes with salvation? I hope you have. I hope you have. And if, if you haven't, if you're with us today, you've never received Christ as your Savior, if you're watching online and, and you don't know that you're saved, right, the reality is you can leave today knowing you're saved. Or having that assurance of salvation, of, of just a simple prayer of, of, Lord, I believe in you. I confess my sin. Forgive me of that sin. Come into my life and save me. That simple prayer changes everything. Because it's not only by faith that you're saved, but it's also by faith that you're blessed. Because when you are saved, when you accept Christ as your Savior, then you start a new journey. You start a journey becoming more like Christ. And at that moment of salvation, we, we turn our back on the world, and we focus on Christ because he then becomes the destination of our journey. And when you join the journey of faith, right, you start taking steps closer and closer to God. And we see here in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, right, it, it tells us that you love him even though you've never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your soul. And that's the real victory of Easter. Is if you find a saving knowledge and trust in Jesus. And you start this journey with Christ. Because not only will you be saved as you start that journey, but you will be blessed with an inexpressible joy. I encourage you, circle that phrase. Inexpressible joy. Does that describe your life? I mean, we think about inexpressible joy. I mean, this, this is something that's hard to comprehend. I mean, this is like that moment when you get that incredibly delicious donut. If you don't know, that's my daughter, by the way. And I would tell you is that that girl is full of inexpressible joy. Right? In fact, not just the donut. I mean, the, the playground does the same thing, right? Like, it just brings it out. Okay, but does, does that describe your life? Because that's the life that God wants for you. Right? That's the life that God wants for you. And if we find Christ through salvation, 
And if we're walking with him every day, we, we take a step in our journey every day, we become more like Christ tomorrow than I am today. Right? Then we end up right where we started, right, with John 1.29. When we see, again, John, John sees Jesus coming towards him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, that's, that's where we start in John 1. Right? And John the Baptist, that's his testimony of Jesus. He sees Jesus and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right? And that's where we end up here at the end of John 20. Right? This chapter concludes in verses 30 and 31. And it says, then the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Amen. Right? That's not just the purpose of John's gospel, of the, the story of Jesus, but that's, that's the purpose of Easter. Right? It's so that you will have a new life, life by the power of Jesus' name, life by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. Right? And you moving forward in your journey of faith every day. As we look at these verses, these, these closing verses of John 20, right, notice where it starts. It says the disciples saw Jesus. But yet the result of even them seeing Jesus is that we will all believe. Seeing, believing. Will you believe without seeing? And through that, you will be blessed. You will be saved. You will be transformed from the inside out. Now, again, as you see, again, this is not the end of John's gospel. Okay, this is this is the false ending of the gospel. As he concludes, again, his purpose in these closing verses of John 20. But Jesus has some unfinished business with Peter. And, again, he predicted in John 13 that, he, that Peter would betray him. This played out in John 18, and then it all gets resolved in John 21. And, but that's what we're going to talk about next week. So, again, I hope you'll join us again next week to to get, see the conclusion of that. Because we're going to dive into that redemptive story. But for today, for this Easter Sunday, okay, this is my final thought. Says John gives us an insider perspective of Jesus based on what they saw so that we can believe without seeing. So do you have faith in Jesus? Are you living through that faith every day? And again, you're here with us on Easter, and I don't know where you're at in your faith journey. But if you are here and you've never received Christ as your Savior, if you've never prayed and accepted him, if you're not 100% confident in your own salvation, then I encourage you today to pray and receive Christ as your Savior. Okay, have that faith or renew that faith in Jesus today. And if you already know Jesus as your Savior, then I encourage you to, to deep, dive deeper in your faith, engage in your faith. 
right, and move forward in your journey. God, we thank you that you are the forever risen king. We thank you, God, that you are alive. We're not only alive in the physical resurrection of Jesus, but God, you are alive in the heart of every believer. God, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that you transform us, God, from your creation to your child. Lord, we thank you that no matter what the world looks around us, no matter how chaotic it gets, Lord, that we can find peace in you. And God, we know that you are the light of life. And God, as we go today, as we continue to celebrate the resurrection of our King, God, as we leave today, help us to be your church. God, to shine your light in this dark world, to show the world who you are through our relationship with you. We praise you today that you are our resurrected King, that he is risen. And God, we thank you that your home, God, is not in the grave, but your home is in, the, is in our hearts, and we praise you for that today. We thank you for being with us through everything we face. We thank you for still being the God of miracles. And God, guide us every day as we move forward in our faith to be more like you tomorrow than we are today. God, to learn and to grow in you, to strengthen our faith every day and to show this world who you really are. Guide us as we go today. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. Guide us as we leave in Jesus' name. Amen.